Our reading this evening comes from the book of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. Merry Christmas. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. It is so lovely to be with you this Christmas Eve. Now, this Christmas Eve is also taking place on the fourth Sunday of Advent. And because we didn't have morning services, we're actually going to finish our four-week Sunday Advent candle lighting ritual right now. So I'm actually gonna head back here. If you've been able to be with us for the last few weeks, or perhaps you celebrate this uh, tradition at home, or perhaps you're new to it, we light candles throughout Advent. They symbolize light in the days where light becomes less and less around us, and they offer up themes themes for us to hold on to, themes for us to emulate, themes for us to carry with us through the Christmas season. The first theme is hope. The second, peace. The third is joy. The fourth is pink. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else noticed this through the weeks that one of our candles is a different color. It's also considerably taller because it gets fewer weeks every year to burn. But our fourth week is love. The fourth Sunday of Advent, which happens to co correspond this year with Christmas Eve, we focus on love. Because without hope, without peace, without joy, we cannot fully embody the Christmas spirit. 
but all of these things without love. And so, will you join me in emulating love? We will hear more about it as I preach and teach, but for now, I trust that you all can conjure some love in your spirit, in your body. And so I would invite you to take some deep breaths and to cast that love out as brightly, as broadly as you can, as we become a people of love together in this moment. Will you join me? God, make us a people of your love. Doc's birth narrative this year. I don't know, were, were folks expecting more shepherds? Were folks expecting uh, more Mary? There's a lot of Mary missing from this text. The most popular Christmas Eve text is from the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, Luke's got it all. Luke's got Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Luke has a ton of Mary and the Magnificat, that powerful political song that she offers up in praise of God and the work that God is doing to liberate God's people. We've got the tax decrees from Caesar, a technicality that should be a lot more boring than it is. And we've got travel across lots of land to Bethlehem where there's no room at the inn and a dramatic uh, birth in a stable, Jesus in the manger, all culminating in the announcement of the angels to the shepherds in the fields. This is what we think of when we think of Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful, beautiful telling of the story. And it makes for the best Christmas pageants because it's got the most characters, including all like the sheep and stuff, right? But Matthew tells this story in a different way. All the Gospels do this. They tell the stories of Jesus' life and teachings and ministry from different perspectives, emphasizing different truths. And the main character in the telling of Jesus' birth from Matthew's perspective is Joseph. Now, I find that a little irritating. Does anybody else find that irritating? I mean, like, Jesus should be the star of Jesus' birth, right? But if anyone else is going to be the star, it should not be Joseph. Who should it be? Obviously, Mary, yes. Mary's doing a lot of the hard labor, quite literally, in this story. But here we get it from Joseph's perspective. And actually, we see another set of crucial images and characters that we don't get from Luke. We have the star, the star that shows the way to the magi, as they are called in this text. They are mystics, mystics from the East who have heard the foretelling of a birth. They've seen it in the stars that the new king has arrived. And so they've come from a long way away. And then we have Herod. Herod, the powerful ruler, the one who was king, who didn't know about the new king coming into town and didn't feel great about it. Now, both Luke and Matthew's accounts are highly politically charged. We see an infant, a divine infant, an infant who is king, born 
into a situation of oppression, occupation by a colonizing army, a promise of power, a power to the people in a way that is fundamentally terrifying to those in earthly power and positions of authority like Herod, like Caesar. Now, in Matthew's account, we have a lot of this culminating in ways that demonstrate state violence. In Matthew's account, we have what is known as the slaughter of the innocents, a memory, an echo of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's decree that all young Hebrew boys be killed. Now we have a new generation and a new leader, a new imperial force, a new army, a new colonizing power that says, let us slaughter the children for the sake of preserving the power of empire. How chilling a message to receive here in this time while the churches in Palestine, the church in Bethlehem, has asked for those of us around the world remembering the birth of Jesus to tone it down a little with our Christmas celebrations while there is a genocide happening in Jesus' birthplace. Those imperial powers are never new. They are never new, only echoes of villains past. And here in the midst of all of this, Jesus is coming. God is coming into the mess, into the morass. And we know, we know how wholeheartedly, how, how open-heartedly Mary has said, yes, I am in. I offer my whole body. And here we have Joseph. Now we've been following this season, all of these announcements from the angels, these revelations from God's messengers to individuals who are invited into the journey, into the story of God coming into the world, being among God's people. And in the incarnation, we have the ultimate revelation, Jesus' own self revealing God's love, God's truth, God's mercy, God's liberation to the people in Jesus' personhood. But here we have one more message from an angel to Joseph. Joseph was just a dude. Joseph was just a dude who was engaged to Mary. Mary is a much more central character in this story. Mary has a lot more involvement in bringing Jesus into the world. And Joseph, we know, was a good dude, right? Like the scriptures tell us he was righteous. Righteousness in scripture means right relationship. Joseph was a, a person in right relationship. He was also a person in an extremely patriarchal culture that uh, placed enormous value on lineage determined through marriage and, uh, and fidelity to a point that if Mary was pregnant, then her child would not be considered Joseph's if she was pregnant before they were born. And so here is Joseph, a good dude, an upstanding dude, engaged to Mary, finding out, hey, this isn't gonna work out. Mary has become pregnant, and he knows it's not his, 
And so he knows that's going to end badly for both of them. But because he's a good dude, he's not going to publicly shame her or make a big thing about it. He's just going to quietly disentangle himself from this mess. Because that's what you do in that situation, right? You just sort of nope right out. Pass. Joseph is making the smart, reasonable choice here. And he's not even being mean about it. And then comes the angel. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Now, it's interesting because the angels are always saying this. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. <laughs> the angels really, they, I think they come with a, with a card. You know, just hand the card. Don't panic. I'll wait. But most of the time, the do not be afraid is just sort of like a general advice. And then it comes with some other information. For Joseph, it's actually very specific. The angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And this is really interesting because he doesn't say, don't be afraid because everyone's going to believe you that God impregnated your fiance. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because like I made it fine and you guys are going to have the most resources possible and nothing's ever going to go badly. Everyone's going to think the world of your son and, and it's going to go great for you all. The angel doesn't say any of that. The angel just says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And it exposes for me the undercurrent of fear behind noping out behind saying, I'll pass on that particular drama. The fear behind saying, well, it's complicated. It's too complicated to talk about, or I'm not really an expert in this area, or I know people I respect who feel all different kinds of ways about this. Joseph knew that by sticking with Mary, he was setting himself up for the same humiliation she would inevitably receive. He had the privilege to just walk away. But that privilege and that choice comes from a spirit of fear, a spirit of terror that he might be treated just as badly as he knew Mary would be. The angel doesn't tell him, don't be afraid because those things won't come to pass. The angel just says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Just do it. Joseph has a choice here. He can either say no and walk away and live a simple carpenter's life doing his thing as he planned. Or he can choose Mary and Jesus and love and divinity in a way that will set his life on an absolutely different course. We see in just this short passage how wrong it goes so quickly. He's got to travel. They go together for the birth, and it's not long after that that all of a sudden there are mystics from the East coming to talk to them, more angelic messages, and they are suddenly getting the information that Herod is actually coming to kill Jesus. 
that Herod is willing to kill all the children in Bethlehem just to make sure that Jesus is dead. And so they flee as refugees to Egypt. I can't imagine what Joseph is thinking just a few years in after this angelic message, the moments before he thinks that he's about to get married and have his simple, normal, wonderful life. But two years later, here he is with a toddler as a refugee in Egypt with his wife that everybody believes has betrayed him. And they're there because the king specifically wants to kill their child. They have to remain there until they hear word of Herod's death, at which point they come back to try and live their lives in peace. Joseph could have said no to putting himself in the political crosshairs. Joseph could have said no to a life of imperial and state threat. Joseph could have said no to being a refugee, but Joseph chose love. And I don't mean that in the romantic sense. I don't mean that in the hallmark sense. I mean love in the sense of solidarity. Joseph chose solidarity. Joseph chose to put his body on the line with Mary's and Jesus's. Now again, you might wonder why at Jesus's birth we are still talking about Joseph. I mean, what even happens to that guy? after the birth, am I right? He shows up for sure in one story when Jesus is a, is a teenager being disobedient at the temple. We know that he's in Jesus's life and known by the community because in one account, when Jesus is in his 30s and doing ministry, people still refer to him as the carpenter's son. But Joseph is not a main character. Joseph is not the star of this gospel. Joseph is just one person who had an opportunity to either say, nope, hard pass, I'm gonna look out for myself. Or to say like, okay, I'm in. My life, my body on the line for love, for love of Mary, for love of Jesus, for love of community, for a love of the people, for the love of a liberated, liberated future. Joseph says, I'm not going to simply rest on the safety of the happenstance of my birth. I'm going to put my life on the line for love. Someone, a couple decades later maybe, would say, no greater a love is there than the one who would lay down their life for a friend. Now, that teaching, Jesus' teaching about no greater love than offering your life is not about death. It is truly about life and laying it down. This is what Joseph does in the moment he chooses Jesus. He lays his own life down, his own life that was on a very, very short pedestal. In his patriarchal community, he had just a little bit of an edge on his peers. Now, he still lived under colonization. He was a carpenter, but he could have protected what little he had, preservation of the self. It's a strong impulse. But this is why he takes to heart the instruction, do not be afraid. 
When we lay down our fear, we are able to orient to the world in a fundamentally different way. Researchers are starting to get to know better the actual mechanisms of the body when it is experiencing fear. Our fight or flight response, as it's known, kicks into gear a whole set of mechanisms in our bodies and brains. It actually shuts down the most relational parts of our brain. And it allows us access only to the parts of us that can engage in competitive thinking. The idea when you are in fight or flight is my life or yours. I choose mine. There is a sort of zero sum experience when we are in a place of fear. We look out only for ourselves. It's instinctive. But when we can train ourselves to lay down fear, we can, when we can ground ourselves in love and connection and relationship, that is when we can understand and embody the gospel. The gospel message of love, which says, not my life or yours, but my life because of yours. My life with and for yours. Our lives bound up together. Love is a team project. And yeah, you can nope out. You can look out for yourself first. You can hold on to whatever shred or mountain of privilege you have and just say hard pass when someone asks you to lay down your life for solidarity, to lay down your life for others. Or you could go the way of Joseph and of Mary and Elizabeth and so many surrounding the birth of Jesus the ones who choose the way of love over the way of fear, the ones who choose solidarity. It is in this collaboration of love that the incarnation becomes possible. Now that word incarnation, it's one that we use around this time, the word we use to describe what it means for God to come among the living, to be among us. Incarnation, it sounds very Christmassy. You can probably see it in your imagination in script. It's very Latin, which is nice. But if we break down that word, incarnation, the core of that word is carne. Anybody here speak other languages than English? Incarnation literally means in meatment. Again, we dress it up. We call it enfleshed. <laughs> Jesus is enfleshed. Jesus takes on a meat suit. God shows up in the meat of it, in the mess of it, in the blood of it. Jesus shows up, not in this kind of like airy, profound other way. When we're talking about who has the privilege to just like nope out of things, who has more of that capacity than God? God could absolutely just like wash their hands of this whole experiment, right? God could just sort of sit back on the sidelines and see how we do. God could say, hard pass. And yet, 
God does the actual opposite of that. God gets immediately in, all the way into the fray. God shows up in the mess, in the meat, in the blood and the sweat and the tears. Jesus shows up in a vulnerable, tiny body among a vulnerable, tiny people held under the boot of an enormous empire with a target specifically on Jesus' back from the day he is born. God shows up. God chooses love. God chooses us and solidarity. God is unafraid. And that doesn't mean that everything goes awesome. Jesus' life, Jesus' solidarity, Jesus' incarnation requires in the end his death, his torture, his rejection. But this one act of solidarity, I'm coming, I'm here, I'm with you, I'll show up. Where God comes into the world in this frail body, that is one act of solidarity in an eternity of loving solidarity. And that eternity will also include the cross and the resurrection. And that solidarity doesn't always look so big and shiny and terrifying. That solidarity is also Jesus offering his teachings. It's also Jesus offering a healing touch to those who are suffering. Solidarity means feeding people who are hungry. Solidarity means intimate conversations with men by the sea before the sun comes up. Solidarity means making his presence and love and commitment known to the women who are gathered at the well trying to make sense of things. Jesus' whole incarnation is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. It is love that characterizes solidarity, the willingness to put others into the mix, to say it is not my life or yours, it is us all together. Solidarity is about putting your body on the line like God puts God's body on the line. Solidarity is about choosing people over power, choosing connection over the false promises of safety in empire. And so, on this Christmas Eve, we can look to Joseph as a human example to try and get a glimpse of this enormous thing that God has done in coming into the world and offering up a kind of vulnerability we cannot imagine. The God of all things becoming flesh, becoming an infant, becoming a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, living life under occupation and the threat of death. Solidarity is an act of love. And the incarnation is the ultimate act of solidarity. This Christmas, 
as we celebrate, as we revel in, as we feel the relief and peace of the God who is with us, the God who will break into our lives, the God who is not afraid of our mess, who is not afraid of our meat, who is not afraid to choose us, to choose you, as you hold that peace, that hope, that joy in your body, may you also feel love. Not only God's love for you, but the call of love in your life. How are you called out of love to put your body in the way? To put your life in the way of injustice? To lay your life down for the people who are with you? Not to go it alone, but to go it together. This is solidarity. This is God with us, showing us how we can be with each other. I am so grateful to be in this with you. And I'd like you to think about how Jesus, God of all things, immensely powerful, chose a kind of vulnerability that required the solidarity of others. What would God have done if Mary and Joseph had said no? How would Jesus have fled as an infant to Egypt to escape Herod if everyone around him had said, no, I'm gonna save my skin instead? But God put trust in us and said, I will show up. I will show up into your arms because I know that the love is there, that the love is enough to carry me into the world with you so that we can love, save, liberate one another. At this time, I'm gonna to return to our candles. Because it is out of love, Joseph's, Mary's, Elizabeth's, so many countless, nameless, before them and after them, so many people, so many relationships that made the incarnation possible. We think of God's power as being removed from us. God's power is through us, and we see that so intimately, so viscerally in the incarnation. Jesus, a baby, coming into this world because of the love, because of the lives laid down to make that possible. It is our love candle that allows us on Christmas to light the Christ candle. Jesus is here. Jesus is among us. Jesus chose us, may we choose one another. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, make us brave, help us to lay down our fear, make us bold, help us catch the vision of your kingdom, make us loving. Show us how to lay our lives down for those we love. And God, may we, as we lay our lives down, find our lives again in you, in one another, in love and solidarity, and in your goodness. Amen.